All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. To keep my promise, we're going to look at the doctrine of tongues tonight. Believe it or not, I'm speaking in tongues right now. Luckily, I don't have to interpret because you all are speaking the same tongue as I'm speaking. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through number, uh, verse number 13, 1 through 13. The word tongue in the Bible, the, the, the word that we have for tongue, it's, it's obvious, it's the word tongue. It refers to the member of your body that's in your mouth that makes sounds, well, that helps form sounds anyway. But it is, a, it is another word, especially at, you know, in the time of our Bible, in the 1600s, uh, that at that time more commonly could refer to languages. That's not something we say a whole lot. We might take, well, he's speaking a foreign tongue. But usually we refer to the word as language. But, um, but in the Scriptures, this, it's almost like people that have gotten that have been um, distracted and, and derailed on the subject, this subject of tongues, it's almost like that they, the phrase speaking in tongues has, has taken on a, its own meaning. It's like its own creature. And it's, and it's no longer to be understood as the words that it is, speaking in tongues as languages. It has its own meaning that's just cut off from the Bible altogether. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about it, of course. So let's look at verse 1 through verse 13. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. <clears throat> and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Notice the term language used in parallel with the word tongue. So lest there be any confusion. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesop- in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we just want to offer this time that we have together, these uh, minutes here as we study your word. Lord, to focus our hearts upon what you've said. Lord, give us an understanding. Lord, teach us. Lord, we want to offer this time to you. We, We ask that you would be glorified, that you would be pleased with this time as we uh, as we worship uh, in, the, in the study of the Scriptures, 
Lord, help us understand it. Lord, apply these things as you see fit to the hearts of each and every person, including myself. Help us and meet with us tonight. Be our, our guide. Be our teacher to help us to not only have knowledge, but have the right use of knowledge and the right spirit uh, with our knowledge. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in, verse number, uh, in verse number two, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. And uh, the signal of that is the sound that they heard. They were filled with the Holy Ghost in verse four. And they began to speak with other tongues. Now, what this means is simply what it says. You should never let anybody uh, alter in your mind the simple language of the Scripture. When the Bible says they spoke in other tongues, that means they spoke in other tongues, other languages. It's just that simple. This is not, this is not rocket science here. The problem is, is when we, take, when we take ideas that are not in the Scripture and impose them upon the Scripture and try to force the Scripture to say something that they don't. So we'll look at a few things here. They began to speak with other tongues. So the gift of tongues, which was manifested here, the gift of tongues was the spontaneous ability given by the Holy Spirit to speak in another language that had never been learned. That's all it is. The gift of tongues is not the ability to learn a new language. Although I think there's some overlap, especially when you get into 1 Corinthians 14, which we will look at in a minute, and the way that, the way that languages that are not native to you know, the, the congregation, the way that those things are applied, you could definitely apply them to foreign languages, and that's okay. But th- what we see here is not that. These men were Galileans. They were very, and if you've, let, if you've ever lived outside of the country or gone to areas that are, you know, unlike the United States, what you find is most people live in a very, very, very small world. Uh, and, and they're very isolated. And, and the, the world that they know is just, is very, is very uh, compact. And so these Galileans, you know, they, they spoke, they probably spoke Aramaic, which is a simple, essentially Hebrew, and they might have, they, they probably spoke Greek, because Peter wrote the book of First Peter, Second Peter in Greek. So they probably knew those two. They might have knew a little bit of Latin, because uh, they were governed by Rome. But this was not a language that Peter had learned. So again, this is the definition we need to remember. As we see it in the Scripture, the gift of tongues was the spontaneous ability given by the Spirit of God to speak in another language that had never been learned. Verse 4 says, And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, the Holy Spirit is putting the words in their mouth, and the words that are coming out of their mouth are in a different language that they do not know. Now, be, be careful at this point. There's nothing in this text that says or indicates that they themselves did not know what they were saying. There's also nothing in the text that indicates that it was the ears of the hearer that somehow understood the language they were speaking, that God 
The miracle was, was not in the God working in the ears of the hearer, but God working in the tongue of the speaker. All right, there because there's some people that explain this away by saying, "Oh, well, this is just the Lord is helping people from other nations hear and understand." That's not what was happening. What's happening is God was putting this a, a spontaneous and miraculous ability into these uh, disciples so that they could speak, and the Spirit of God was doing that. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever observed this? Just as a matter of, of, of fact, has anyone ever observed a person speak in another language that was intelligible to a person, another person, spontaneously without ever having learned it? I've never heard it. I've never heard it. I, now, you could, you could pull up on the internet some anecdotal stories, but who in the world knows if that's true? Although Abraham Lincoln said that uh, everything, we shouldn't believe everything on the internet. So, <laughs> that's a quote, right? I don't understand. Why are they laughing? I mean, Abraham Lincoln said it. Exactly. <laughs> she said Al Gore invented it. It's true. <laughs> that makes me believe it even more. Great. That was a great, great, great return. I, I don't have anything to, to return with. <coughs> I've, never heard, I've never heard of this happening. So here, here's, the, here's the issue. When we, when we read this, we automatically want to go immediately to 2023, and we want to say, is this happening? Where is this happening? Who's doing this? Is anybody doing it? You know, we, we want, and, and that's fine. We want to see ourselves in this. And, and truly, there, we can see ourselves in a lot of the book of Acts. But just as a matter of fact, what we read in this is not something that you see hardly ever. Now, has this happened in some far-off land in a, in a particular circumstances? Probably. I think it's probably happened somewhere in a biblical fashion. But the problem is people have latched on to this doctrine because it is a little bit mysterious and something we don't really observe. And even when you go back to the church fathers, I'm, go, I'm talking going back 1,500 years, they call them the church fathers. Even they don't really describe people having done this. They describe what the Scripture says, which is nothing more than we have. So this is a little bit mysterious, and this is something we don't observe. On the other hand, when you look at other gifts of the Spirit, like the gift of, uh, uh, the gift of discernment or the different gifts of administration or the gifts of teaching and things like that, those are things we definitely observe. We definitely observe. But this is one that's kind of mysterious because we don't. We don't observe it. And false teachers have taken this, this mysterious gift and have twisted it and altered it into something that is not there so that they have like a one-up on everybody else. They're, 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 part of the, they're part of the cool kids club with God, and they have special things happening that nobody else has. So we're going to look at that also. All right, so let's, uh, I just have a few points I want to go over, and we'll look at some scriptures to show you these points and demonstrate them from the text. The times in which, uh, the times in which, in the scripture in which tongues was spoken. All right, so to, to listen to some people, Pentecostals and Charismatics, and again, there are people who are Pentecostal, there are people who go to churches who are Charismatic that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's true. I think that's gen, genuinely true. 
But Pentecostals and Charismatics have led us to believe that the, this uh, occurrence of speaking in tongues, an unknown, unknown tongue as a matter of the gift of the Spirit, is all over the Bible, and it's really not. Amen. You know what it's limited to? Four places in Acts, and one partial chapter in 1 Corinthians, and one full chapter in 1 Corinthians. That's it. That's it. It's not all over the Bible. But the times that we find it in Acts, here's what we find. We find people speaking in languages which were human languages that were understood by humans. Amen. That's the part that's been altered, okay? Let's look at the text. Verse 4 says, They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That doesn't really help us. Verse 6 says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Verse number 11 says, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So basically what you had is these Jews had come to, Pentecost, come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Again, this wasn't a Christian feast. This was a Jewish feast. There are no Christian feasts. And they had come to gather together. They came from all over and all these places listed. But if you follow the map, they were places from, it lists from uh, places in Iran, modern day Iran, Iraq, uh, Turkey, up near uh, the Black Sea. There's some places there. Uh, and then all the way down, all the way down into North Africa, all and you circle around North Africa, Egypt, down into the, the Arabian Peninsula. It's it's basically the entire area surrounding Israel. That's what all these places are listed. They came to Jerusalem for this feast of weeks, which is one of the three feasts where the Jews were to appear before God in Jerusalem. But their native tongue, just like the Jews of today, was of the lands where they where they were dispersed. Like, for instance, if a, Jew, if a Jew now, say they live in New York, and they go to, they go to uh, uh, Jerusalem on one of their, for, their, for their religious practices, for instance, not that they do all that like this because things have changed a lot, but if they did, they would speak English as their native tongue, right? That's what's happening here. They're coming to Jerusalem, but they have their own native tongues, even though they're of Jewish descent and Jewish blood. But let me ask you a question. When all of these different people from all these different nations are in Jerusalem and they heard the disciples speak, what language did they hear? What language did they hear? They heard each language of their own birth. So that tells you that this was a language that was a human language. This was a language that was known of the people in that area. This was not Babel, not as in the tower, but like B-A-B-B-L-E. This was not Babel. This was not something known only to the disciples, and this was not something known to no one. This was a human language. This was a human language. Now, had this been, uh, had this been uh, unintelligible Babel, 
It would have been easily detected as a fake. Now, here's why this is so important. The modern tongues movement describes the, the speaking in tongues, and I'll just quote, a heavenly, unintelligible prayer language, a prayer language known as glossolia, where individuals speak in what, is, what appeared to be unintelligible heavenly languages during their private prayers. It's an activity or practice in which, in which people utter words or speech-like sounds, often thought by believers to be languages unknown to the speaker. I'm t- what I'm describing to you is the modern concept of speaking in tongues, okay? So basically it means they are saying words that the speaker does not know what he is saying, and nobody around him knows what he is saying. Now, is that consistent with what we read here? No. In this case, as far as we know, the speakers knew what they were saying because they were saying the wonderful works of God and the hearers also knew what they were saying. It's perfectly clear. That is not consistent with the modern use of tongues in in our day. You know what? What's interesting about this, the fact that this speech was actually understood is what made it a miraculous sign. I can sit here and babble I could sit here and give you babble and, and, you know, just make up words. And that would not, that would not be miraculous. In fact, let me, uh, let me show you something. This is an interesting uh, thing I came across. Come on. Listen to this. What English sounds like to non-English speakers. Do silly tug gimbal clarinder? There's a Terry Hall van. The locks does decide the older guy or yaps here. And Lang. But is next to taste Denfor or Lobster? How many of you have ever heard a video like that? It's what English sounds to non-English speakers. He's speaking in words that sound like it should be English, but when you're listening to it, it doesn't make any sense. So you can make up words. You can make up words and make up your own uh, uh, sounds and you can make it sound convincing like a language. But the miracle in this is the fact that everybody understood them. Because if I can make it up, I mean, you're, you're going to say I'm crazy. And that's actually what happened in verse 13. Some people, like for instance, if I'm speaking, if, if I was a disciple and I, I had the gift of tongues and I was speaking to the people from uh, one of the Elamites, right? And I was speaking in their native language. Somebody from Pamphylia would have no idea what I'm saying to this group. And so they would say, this guy's crazy. Was he drunk? Just like when you heard that, it sounds like English, but you know it's not English. You say, that guy's crazy. That's exactly what they were saying because there were different languages represented. But the fact that people did understand them is actually what prompted verse 12 when they said one to another, what meaneth this? The understanding is the important part. See, that's, that's, the, that's the huge problem with the modern tongues movement is this is a sign. And remember in uh, Mark chapter 16, there were five signs that were given that Jesus said that would accompany the word with the disciples. Remember that? There were, these signs shall follow them that believe. One of those was they shall speak with other tongues. And then, the, and then Mark 16, it goes on to say at the end, the next to last verse, it says, 
And they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, the signs being the five above. One of those is the speaking in unknown tongues, in other languages. That is the miraculous part. If someone started speaking in a language that you knew for a fact they did not know and they were speaking to you and you heard them, the fact that you hear them shows this is not ordinary. This is out of the... This is miraculous. But if I'm just babbling, it's not miraculous. Anybody can do that. And I might be able to sound more convincing than you. Maybe you may be more convincing than me. But the fact that they understood it made it miraculous. And that's the whole purpose of it, because it's a sign. It was a sign. It was just like a healing. It was just like a miracle. It was to accompany the Word, to confirm the Word, and to convince those that heard the Word that this, the Word that they were speaking was true, because this is not something human beings can do. I did hear about a guy who, who uh, went on a, an Icelandic, uh, wherever Zach is. He went on an Icelandic TV show. He's a prodigy, right? So he was very, very good at learning languages. So he went on an Icelandic TV show, and they, they knew he was a prodigy. And so on the show, they said, we're going to give you a tutor, somebody to follow you around, who's native Icelandic, and we're going to give you one week. And in one week, you're going to come back to our show and we want to know if you've, we want to see how you've learned our language because Icelandic apparently is one of the most difficult languages to learn. So he did that. And he was a prodigy. So in one week he came back, I saw the interview, and he was speaking fluent conversational Icelandic to the interviewers. That's not even the gift of tongues. That's just an exceptional person. What we have here is truly miraculous. And that was God's design. Look at Acts chapter 10. You would think between chapter 2, all oh, the tongues is everywhere in the Bible. Well, we had to skip eight chapters to get to the next one. Verse 45. <clears throat> we talked about that this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Peter, talking to Cornelius. As Peter's preaching, Cornelius and his group are listening. And just like that, instantaneously, their faith comes in their heart in this gospel. They're immediately saved. They're immediately forgiven. And as a result, God immediately gives them the Spirit of God. And as a result, they speak in tongues. It was a sign that they had the Spirit of God, just like Peter did. We talked about this this morning. Verse 45, And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do we know that? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see that? The reason they, know they, had, they knew they had the Spirit of God and, uh, is because they spoke in other languages. Now, if they just said, blah, 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 if they just did that, what would that matter? But the fact that they had a miraculous gift to speak in another language instantaneously by virtue of the Spirit of God was the indicator to Peter that they had the Spirit of God because they couldn't do it otherwise and that they had the Spirit of God proved to Peter that the Gentiles could also be saved. That was the whole point. 
It was a sign. All right. It was a sign. Now, here's the, here's the thing we need to understand about this before we look at the two other passages. There's only two more, so you wouldn't have to look a, whole long, a lot longer. When God was at, a, when, at different times in the book of Acts, when God wanted to, to demonstrate that something was being done that was maybe new or needed to be established, he sometimes used tongues. He sometimes used tongues. Look at Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Verse 8. <clears throat> Peter, talking now about Cornelius, here's what Peter says about the, what had happened previously. He says, God, which knoweth their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. You see that? Peter says, I knew they had the Holy Ghost because of the sign. Verse chapter 19, if you'd look there. This is this small group of most likely Jews who had been baptized by John, but they had not been baptized, they had not heard about Jesus at all. Verse 5, when they heard about Jesus, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. That's it. That's the sum total of tongues in the book of Acts. Congratulations. That was a quick study, wasn't it? You see, it's not everywhere. It's not everywhere at all. And, and what's more is there are places where people receive the Spirit of God and there's no mention of tongues at all. For instance, in chapter 2, we'll get to that later, but it says, And they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same was added unto the church, 3,000 souls. Not a word is mentioned about speaking in tongues. When Paul was saved, not a word is mentioned about speaking in tongues, even though it says plainly that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, the Lord was bearing witness to different people in different circumstances as the gospel spread that what was happening was of God. Remember, the book of Acts is changing. Things are changing. The Jews at first didn't even know, and when we studied the Great Commission, remember, even though it plainly said the gospel is going to go to all the world, they didn't get that. They didn't get that. And so what the, what the tongues, the gift of tongues is doing is that is God's bearing witness to the fact that what these changes that are happening are, God, are, are coming from God, that God is directing them and giving them markers and tokens to show, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And they're like, oh, so now the Gentiles can receive the gospel too. But you know what? After that's established... Once that, that change that God is doing was established, what need was there of tongues again? They knew it was of God, and so they go preach the gospel, and people got saved, and maybe they spoke in tongues, maybe they didn't. That wasn't the point. The point is that was already established. God used the, the sign of the tongues to establish it. But once, the, once that, that was established, it was no longer needed as a sign. And that's why when you got saved... You didn't speak in tongues. What was the need? There was no sign needed, needed to bear witness that what was happening was of God. You see, 
The purpose of it had been fulfilled. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I told you that was a quick study in Acts. Here's the issue with 1 Corinthians, that the Corinthians had messed up the use of tongues. Look at chapter 14, verse 5. Well, let's, let's look at verse 3, 3 through 5. So, of course, the gift of tongues is a gift of the Spirit, and all the gifts of the Spirit are designed to do what? Somebody want to help me? All the gifts of the Spirit of God upon believers are designed to do what? Yeah, exactly. The, the, the term used in Scripture is to profit the church. That's what they do. The gifts of the Spirit, whatever they be, are designed to profit the church. Okay? Verse 3 says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Well, that's not profiting anybody else. It's a misuse of the, of the gift, you see. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather ye, that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Look at verse 26. This whole chapter is about tongues in one, one form or another. Verse 26 says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. Verse 27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. Verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So these things are not suggestions. <laughs> if you do not do this in a church, you are disobeying the Lord. Okay? The order that God has established in the church. All right, here's the thing. Why did I read that? We can talk all day long about tongues. and We already saw in Acts, tongues was, was a human language spontaneously spoken by the power of the Spirit of God, right? We saw that. But what people do that believe in the modern tongues movement is they, take, they, take, they forget about that. They just basically they cut it off and say, well, that, what we do has nothing to do with the book of Acts. And they look at chapters like this. And they privately alter and interpret what tongues means. But the problem is, okay, let's just give them that. All right. They say, well, no, this is not something, we're not talking about speaking a human language. This is a private prayer language that only God understands. Not even I understand it. Only God understands. Okay, if that's the case, then why are you saying it in church in front of everybody? Why are you saying it all at the same time? And why is there no interpreter? This is the chapter that, that those that believe those doctrines use. But it's very clearly specified. It's very clearly specified. Speaking in the church in an unknown tongue requires an interpreter, 
It requires to be spoken only one at a time. And actually, if you keep reading down, verse 34, women are not, requ- are not permitted to speak it. All of those things are violated by those who practice the modern tongues movement. So even if we give that, okay, well, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, which I don't, I don't think we should, but even if we said that, they're already violating the Scripture, you see? And the fact that they violate the Scripture in the practice that they themselves boast of demonstrates the root of their practice is faulty, right? That's what I'm trying to show you. There is never interpretation. And it's always spoken in church. In fact, verse 28, it says very plainly, But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. That's pretty clear, right? Now, I don't suggest, I actually was talking to Ari, I thought about pulling up some videos of people speaking in tongues in these, these, some of these charismatic churches to let you listen to it. But I decided not to because I'm not exactly sure what the origin of some of that stuff is. Amen. And I don't want to bring it into our church. Amen. Now look at verse 22. Third thing I want you to see is that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Look what it says in verse 22. Actually, verse 21, because it relates directly to what we're referring to. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 28. I'll read that, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. Listen to this. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he, the Lord, speak to this people. And the next verse says they will not hear. So what God chose to do is using this remarkable sign, this remarkable uh, and miraculous event, God said he was going to speak to Israel because that's the context of chapter 28, verse 11 of Isaiah. He would speak to Israel by means of this miraculous sign. We know in Acts chapter 2 that's exactly what happened. And then here he quotes it. Okay, so this is an Old Testament prophecy. Of the, of the way the Lord would try to get Israel's attention, which was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. It was designed to speak to unbelieving Jews to show the veracity of this, of this gospel work, that God was in it, because it's something that mankind could not do. This also demonstrates that the modern practice of speaking in tongues is far from the scriptural example. Why? Where you don't ever see you don't ever see uh, people that believe in the modern ideas of of uh, theories of of, uh, of tongues. You don't ever see them on the on the on the street speaking in tongues. You know why? Because they know if they went on the street speaking in tongues, people would be like, "These men are full of new wine." <laughs> but that's is that not what the text says? It's for it's for unbelievers. It's for unbelievers. But all, the only time they ever use it, this is what they self-describe as the gift of tongues. Not what I say. I say it's not the gift of tongues at all. I saw the gift of tongues, and you saw the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2. And what they're doing is not that. Amen. But that's what they describe it. Okay? Why is it always done in the church where God expressly forbids it except you have an interpreter? 
Verse 22 says it's for a sign. This is the, remember, this is the chapter they like to use. They say, oh, well, Acts 2 is not what we do. We do private prayer to God in an unknown time. Well, this is it right here. You see it? It's a sign for unbelieving Jews. And that's what you find in the book of Acts as well. God used it to convince unbelieving Jews that he was in this when he wanted to do something that was not established. That's what you find. We read all four, exam- all four examples in Acts. Now, here's the question as we get, get closer to the end is this. Is the gift of tongues, the scriptural gift of tongues, active in our day? That's the question. All right, look at chapter 13. This is the only direct passage that I'm aware of that, has, that could have any reference to this question, whether the gift of tongues is active and present in our day. As a matter of Christian experience, like I know I have the Spirit of God in me, and you all know, I trust, that you have the Spirit of God in you, Right? No one in here has given testimony. Though you know you have the Spirit of God, you have been baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. That's this morning. None of you can bear witness to the the fact that you have heard of or experienced what we see in Acts chapter 2. I'm just saying it just as a matter of experience. All right? It's okay to say that. We shouldn't feel it. Well, you know, the TV pre, oh, you got to speak in tongues or you're not really filled with the Holy Ghost or whatever they say. You say, well, no, it has nothing to do with it. I look at the Bible. I'm, I'm happy with just what the Bible says. Amen. But this is it. This is the whole passage. Let's read it. Verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, notice, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. <clears throat> So this verse by itself tells us that tongues will cease. The question is whether this is referring to the gift of tongues or to tongues in general, as in languages. I think it refers to the gift of tongues because of the next verse. Not the next verse. Let me find it. Where, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Yeah, ver- the next verse. I'm sorry. <laughs> My mind went blank. For we know in part, that matches the knowledge, and we prophesy in part, that matches prophecies in verse number 8. And those, knowledge and prophecy, are also spiritual gifts. So I think it's probably, although the text does not directly say it, we have to acknowledge the fact, I think this is most likely a reference to the gift of tongues, not just language in general. Okay? Now notice what it says in verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So if this is a reference to the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of knowledge, and the gifts of tongue, it says that those gifts are in part. In other words, they're not complete. They're not mature. All right? That's what the verse is saying. Verse number 10. But when that which is perfect is come, and that's that's the crux of this whole passage right here. Then that which is in part... What is that? Verse 9. That's the gifts. Shall be done away. Which matches verse 8, which is talking about things that fail. 
or pass away. So if you, if you follow this, it says the, the, the spiritual gifts in, in 9 and in 8, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, which are in part, will pass away whenever that which is perfect has come. So the question is, what is that which is perfect? That's the real question to this whole passage. And some people look at this, look at the entirety of the passage, and they say, you know, they look things like um, verse number 12, knowing face to face. They say, well, the Word of God is like a mirror in the book of James. And so bottom line is they come down on this and they say that which is perfect is a reference to the completed Bible. And so the line of reasoning goes, when that which is perfect is come, when the Bible is completed, then the, the gifts that are in part, prophecy, knowledge, tongues, will pass away. Okay? That's how the reasoning goes. And to be honest with you, as in my opinion, I, I, don't, I don't think that you can look at this and firmly say it is the Word of God. But I think that if you look at everything that fits the description of that which is perfect, notice what it says. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. That's the gifts. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know even as also I am known. If you look at all the things in, 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 the, in the Bible that could possibly uh, fit the description of something that is, that is uh, perfect, that comes, that wasn't already present, you're left with very few options. And the Bible is actually a very good option, everything included. But I, I just, I'll be honest with you. The text doesn't say that. You, you, have to kind of, you have to kind of deduce that from everything else that's in the text. And it's important that we acknowledge that. So to me, it seems likely that this, the Word of God, the completed Bible, fits the description of the conditions listed for the ceasing of tongues. Okay, so I know some people look at this and say, that is the Word of God, tongues cannot happen. That's what people say, all right? The problem is that it's not that exactly clear, like, honestly, I wish it was, Okay? I can only say, we can only say what is actually written. However, the current phenomenon of the gift of tongues that we see around us in churches only has to be tested with the rest of Scripture to know if it's genuine. We don't have to know the meaning of this passage to know if the speaking in tongues that we see is true. In other words, we don't, have to, we don't have to absolutely determine this in order to know if that's right or wrong. We only have to know the rest of the Scripture to know if tongues is scriptural. And I think that's settled. That's a settled question. And so it could very well be, based upon this passage, that tongues has, as a gift, has ceased. Because what we observe as people who have examined ourselves and who know that we have the Spirit of God in us, what we, 
what we observe is we do not see this gift scripturally manifested because we know what is called the gift of tongues is not scripturally manifested, so we don't include that. So the question is, where did it go? I think this problem gives the most likely answer. But again, if you can't nail it down 100%, is there ever a time in which someone maybe asked God because they were in a particular place or, 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 or situation, asked God to allow them to speak a language that they had not previously known and God allowed them? I don't think that you could totally exclude that. But you know what? That has nothing to do whatsoever with the tongues movement. <laughs> it has nothing to do. They're completely independent. They're totally, they're, they're, because they have no relationship. So if I say that, somebody say, oh, you believe in tongues. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Babel, prayer language, it's not even a real language. They're supposedly talking to God and the speaker doesn't even know what he's saying. Give me a break. Give me a break. Lastly, there are a bunch of problems with the concept of tongues. I've already said a bunch of them, but one of the biggest problems is that among those that believe it, they claim they don't even know what they themselves are saying. They lose control of their own faculties. Anytime somebody loses control of their own faculties is a problem because that's not a scriptural filling of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God fills a person, He doesn't all of a sudden lose control of what He's doing. He is, being, he is being led by the Spirit of God in full measure. But he still, he still knows what he's doing. And in a moment, he could, he could quench the Spirit and that would be over. So that's a problem. There's a problem with them calling it an angelic language. I won't get into that. But one of the big problems, if you ever listen to someone speaking in tongues, is you find that it is really just babble. It's not a language at all. It's just repetition of the same sounds over and over. I was listening to like a 10-year-old girl the other day speaking in tongues, which that violates how many of those rules we read. <laughs> but she was literally just repeating the same symbols, the same uh, syllables over and over and over and over. Modern tongues movement features repetition of the same sounds and it's only sounds that the, that the speaker is familiar, familiar with. You never hear one say, Ugh, like the Cambodian vowel. Or some of these funny sounds that if you actually learn a language, you learn that most languages don't sound like English. <laughs> it's always sounds that the, the speaker is familiar with in the tongues movement. I wonder why. It's because it's not a language. It's babble. That's why they're not saying anything else than the sounds they know. In 1972, a man named William Samarin, a linguist from the University of Toronto, published a thorough assessment of the Pentecostal tongues movement. It was very interesting. Basically, he said this. I summarize it. He says, it's a resemblance to human language, but he says, um, a resemblance of human language, it was, mere, it was merely on the surface and so he concluded that this modern tongues movement is only a facade of language. It's not a language. They claim it is. They claim they're talking to God, but it's like God's like, I don't know what you're saying. So basically what has happened in the modern tongues movement has invented <laughs> something completely outside of Scripture. 
And by saying it's private and they're only talking to God, they avoid all the regulations in 1 Corinthians 14 about speaking in the church. And by saying it has nothing to do with Acts chapter 2, they, <clears throat> they, they say it has nothing to do with Acts chapter 2, but on the other hand, out of the other side of their mouth, they say, oh, well, it's the proof that they're filled with the Spirit, like Acts chapter 2. Well, you can't have it both ways. Either it proves it or it doesn't. Either it's like Acts 2 or it ain't. Either it's public in the church or it's private. If it's public, then you've got to use the regulations for it. I want to read this to you to close. I just did a Google search for how to speak in tongues. All right, this is written by a charismatic website. I didn't write the name down, but anyway. But the reason I want to read it to you is I want you to understand where they're coming from when they say this stuff, all right, and compare it to what we've just studied. The church uses multiple phrases to describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We studied that this morning. Some people call it speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and even a personal prayer language. I didn't make that up. But these phrases all describe the very same thing. When we speak in tongues, we use a language enabled by the Spirit that cannot be understood by the natural mind. Well, that's an easy way to get out of it because you can't prove that it's true. Nobody understands it like they did in Acts 2. Anyway, the prayers come from our spirit straight to the Spirit of God using our natural lips, tongues, and voices. Praying in the Spirit is one of the most powerful tools we have in our arsenal as believers to live out the abundant life. It brings wisdom and revelation and confidence in praying the perfect will of God. Speaking in tongues fosters intimacy with Him, among many other benefits. They don't even know what they're saying. <clears throat> he says, what is holding you back? Knowing the benefits of praying in tongues is a first step. Now, there's a reason why he's telling you the benefits. What he's doing is he's setting the environment to make you want it. Like this is what's missing in your life. There's a reason for that, and you'll see it in a minute. But beginning to do so can sometimes be challenging. If you feel discouraged because you have the desire to pray in tongues, notice that you should have a desire to pray in tongues. And haven't yet been able, you are not alone. Although it, it only took Ashley a few months, it took me 12 years. Some of us begin to speak in tongues right away. But for others, it may take a little while. Yet... We can be sure that it isn't the Lord that is withholding from us. In my case, no one taught me correctly about the Holy Spirit. So I had a lot of natural fear regarding speaking in tongues. For, I mean, I'm not afraid of speaking in tongues. It's just, it ain't real. <laughs> it was though I had a, had a mental block, even though I desired it. Once again, you should desire it. That's what he's saying. I really struggled to overcome these things. In fact, I went down to the altar probably 10 times and not once did I ever pray in the Spirit. I felt like it was my fault that I was doing something wrong, that something was in me was broken. You see, this is manipulation. He is creating a sense of, of lack in the reader to make them think this is something they need and should desire. All right? Finally, I just shut myself in my room and said, I'm not leaving this room until I speak in tongues. I'm not letting one word of English out of my, to leave my mouth. 
Well, nothing else you leave your mouth was anything, anything else because it certainly wasn't another language. I think, it was my break, I think that was my breakthrough because although it wasn't a conscious thing, I didn't realize that, that I was the one who had, had to open my mouth, use my lips, my tongue, and my voice and choose to speak. The choice to speak in tongues is yours. Now, what's ironic is he quotes Act two, Acts 2.4. So Acts 2.4 says the Spirit gave them utterance, but he says it's your choice to speak. The voice he quotes says that, okay? The Holy Spirit will not force himself on us. We have to choose to speak out in faith. Acts 2.4 says that, the, that those present at Pentecost began to speak. Oh, man. They spoke, but the Spirit gave them the ability. If you have taken the first step in asking Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you already have that. Okay? You see the error? Okay? Then He has given you the ability that you need. Now, in faith, it's time for you to begin to release the spiritual words He has placed within you. Some people may start with the... (laughs) I'm sorry, this is just funny. May start with just a few syllables, little syllables. That is exactly what I did. As I sat there on my bed, I began with just a few tiny little sounds. And I thought, what is that? That's not even a word. That's like baby babble. He's actually saying this. Well, it can't be a small, uh, well, it can be like a small child learning to speak. I was speaking spiritual baby babble for a while, but I did it in faith. My natural mind, that is his reason, tried to tell me that I was just making it up. That it wasn't real. And even, and even then, uh, and even that I was doing it wrong, I told the Lord, I don't know if this is really my prayer language or not. It doesn't sound very sophisticated. I'm just reading it, okay? I'm just reading what the man says. I did not tell him to write this. But I just continued praying in the spirit and faith, and eventually those little sounds and syllables turned into words. Not words that he knew, but, and those words turned into sentences. This is a primer for convincing yourself that unintelligible words is speaking in tongues. This, what I just read, has no relationship whatsoever with anything about the gift of tongues in the Bible. So, hopefully now, we fully understand what we read in the book of Acts when we come across it from now on. And we understand now in contemporary theology what it is not. All right? So that we be not confused. Hope it's been a blessing. Let's pray.